Welcome to the Traffic Intel Podcast, the best traffic podcast in the world. I'm your host, Steve Ennis. So where do I come from? Why am I interested in doing this podcast? Well, I work with IntelliTraffic. IntelliTraffic is a division of ATS Traffic, which is a privately owned Canadian company founded in 1966 and a company that I've worked for for 15 years now. I'm absolutely passionate about traffic technology and even more so traffic safety. I have a beautiful wife and two kids now, so I'm especially interested in uh, all technology that keeps them safer while they're on the road. I'm an enthusiast of many other types of technology as well, including blockchain applications, uh, communications tech, AR, VR, and all others. I typically sit in bed at night scrolling through Twitter, learning about all sorts of new technology. What's IntelliTraffic? Well, IntelliTraffic is the newest tech division of ATS Traffic. We consult with contractors, municipalities, governments. We distribute traffic systems and solutions and really manage everything service and traffic tech related. So what are we doing here? What are we doing here? What are we trying to create? We wanted to give you listeners an idea of what we're trying to do, the vibe we're trying to do it with, and who we're trying to appeal to. So we're, we're trying to do, we're trying to create a podcast that appeals to not only engineers, city planners, other industry specific people that we of course run into on this, this global traffic conference circuit. But even more than that, we want this podcast to really appeal to any motorist driving around wondering why or how traffic lights are allowing emergency vehicles to pass through as they approach or how your newly purchased Tesla stays within the lines. Or how does Google predict how long it will take to get from point A to point B when you type it into your Maps app on your phone? Further to this, traffic and transportation are super ripe for disruption right now. And they're, they're actually often considered the next big tech frontier, in addition to uh, blockchain, AI, and health tech. So the traffic industry is a vast field just waiting to be explored and it really is changing each passing day as society becomes more and more advanced. So as time goes on, uh, this podcast will present new and innovative startups, technologies, trends, thought leaders in the space that are doing super cool things, and all sorts of other interesting topics and subjects. So when we ask ourselves what sort of podcast do we want to mirror or be like, you know, I'd say it's guys like uh, Anthony Popliano with his Palm podcast, or Tim Ferriss with his Tim Ferriss Show podcast. Both these shows showcase impressive and knowledgeable guests who always keep the content fresh and rich. The conversation is less scripted, comes from just solid conversation between uh, between two or, or three people. So each show will be structured in a way where we'll discuss and dissect our guests' wheelhouse of knowledge. We'll try to ask all the questions that we suspect our audience may have. There's really so many key players and experts within this emerging industry that can absolutely blow the lid off what our means for travel will look like in the years to come and how exactly we'll navigate the road. Most of us drive and interact with the transportation network on a daily basis, so our potential audience we're hoping to appeal to is huge. The thirst for traffic knowledge starts here, and I'm so happy for you, our first and hopefully loyal listeners 
of the Traffic Intel podcast to join me on this journey. We're signing up for monthly podcasts to start with, and if there seems to be a lot of interest and people are interested in what we're doing here, we'll up the frequency as we go. So we have an exciting first show planned for you today uh, and a very special guest to begin the first episode ever here at the Traffic Intel podcast. Sawyer Breslow works with Rhythm Engineering, and we are going to pick his brain about his expertise in adaptive traffic systems and what he envisions for the future of traffic. With that being said, let's get going and welcome to the inaugural Traffic Intel podcast with our guest, Sawyer Breslow. Hey, Steve. All right, Sawyer, thanks for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. In addition to both being Kansas City Chiefs fans, we're both passionate about all things traffic and traffic tech related. So, Sawyer, why don't you tell us why you're in the space, what interests you, tell us a little bit about rhythm engineering and what you guys are trying to accomplish over there. Yeah, definitely. Thanks Thanks for having me on. So really just kind of starting off with uh, the industry as a whole and, you know, why I enjoy what I do really kind of goes back to the university and getting involved with with uh, traffic engineering programs and, and kind of seeing what, what that was like as a student. And I think what excited me the most about it was it wasn't black and white. There was definitely a lot of gray. There's that human element that, that comes into it. You can't you can't just uh, calculate what the answer is going to be. So that was kind of cool. Uh, the psychological piece of it kind of brought me into that. And that, that's what interests me about the space. And I think kind of you kind of touched on it too with your with your wife and kids. You know why why you're in, interested and excited about the industry and where it's going is you know improving traffic technology to, to make it safer for all of our loved ones and friends and, and people that we work and play with on a day-to-day basis. That part of it's definitely really what interests me is the impact that we can have on citizens, on our on our friends and families and the communities that we live in. Just kind of going on a little bit into the rhythm engineering. So I've been with the company now for about eight years. Started there as a project engineer, so deploying our, our adaptive traffic solution, which I think we're going to jump into today, kind of talk about that, and, and then moved over into uh, kind of more of a technical support role for, for our team around the country um, and working with you guys as well. But Rhythm Engineering started back in 2005. Founder Reggie Chandra, as a traffic engineer, was looking for a way to solve the problems that he was seeing and facing every day as a traffic engineer. Um, and it was things that he realized like, hey, we can't fix this with the technology that we have available to us today. So I need to find a better solution. And that, that's really how Rhythm Engineering started. And here we are in 2021, still kicking and still putting a lot of adaptive systems in all over the country, all over North America and, and, and making differences to, to the motorists that drive through those communities. And and where where is that going? Uh, just that, you know, what are we trying to accomplish? If you ask if you ask Reggie, he would say, I wanna I wanna be on every traffic signal in the United States. And then as we get into Canada as well, you know, we wanna have that impact. I mean the goal for us again is how do we make a place safer to live? How do we make it better for you as the motorist driving or as the pedestrian walking or, or the bicyclist going through an intersection? And that's really kind of what what drives us. It's it's the safety. It's the, the improving those communities for sure. Yeah, super cool stuff what you guys are doing. It's neat that it's so observable, right? When there's an adaptive system installed, you, you feel it when you're a motorist. You can tell that you're that you're moving quickly through a corridor, and you appreciate it. You can see the lights changing in front of you. So so super cool work you guys are doing. So so tell me. 
you know, what, what would be the primary benefits of an adaptive corridor system? Actually, maybe start with explaining, you know, what is an adaptive corridor system? What are the primary benefits? And, you know, how is this going to improve a motorist driving experience? Yeah, definitely. So an adaptive traffic system, and specifically Rhythm Solution, NSYNC, we're, we're, we're providing a system that is, is designed to, to really look at what's happening in the moment, right? So I want to know how many cars are there, how many pedestrians, how long they've been waiting, and make real-time decisions to, to operate the signals, to make them operate more smoothly. For everyone listening, I'm sure you've probably sat on the side of the, the intersection and wondering, like, hey, I've been sitting here for a long time. Why am I not getting my green light when there's no cars coming through on the main line? And that's the kind of thing that uh, our system's looking at and saying, hey, you shouldn't be waiting there. We can get you through before the coordinated movement or the, the larger group of vehicles are coming down the pipe. So, and that's, that's really kind of at the high level. You know, what it's trying to solve is, is better optimization and then ultimately the goal is from an ancillary benefit how do we how do we improve signal operations travel time improvements uh, reduction in delay uh, reduction in stops and then we can get even deeper and talk about you know environmental impact are we reducing emissions am i saving you as the driver fuel you're not spending as much as the gas pump because you're getting through a system a lot better and then again, it's it's going to circle back to that safety piece. How am I reducing crashes with a system like this? So those are all all benefits of what of what the NSYNC adaptive system is able to provide. Very cool. So so less crashes, faster travel times from point A to point B, a safer driving experience. You know, these are all benefits for people driving the vehicle. What sort of consideration is given to pedestrians waiting across the street? And there seems to be some sort of stigma around the fact that, you know, pedestrians, if pedestrians are moving slower, cars are moving faster. If pedestrians are moving faster, cars must be moving slower. Is there any truth to that? Or, you know, when you deploy these systems, are you considering all road users? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, if you asked me this 15 years ago, the answer would probably be different. I think, I think we've seen a shift in, in really the priorities and kind of what the, the public works agencies of the world are, are wanting to accomplish for their communities and really where it's coming down from from the city level as well. They they want to make it safer for all road users, and that includes pedestrians and bicyclists. So the NSYNC system and what we're really trying to accomplish is a full user benefit, so not just vehicles, but making it safer for pedestrians to cross at the intersection and not, not feel like they're in a position where, where they can't actually get to where they're going in a safe manner. And that's something that we take into consideration. So it's a it's a, a full mode analysis of what's happening and, and looking at buses, looking at pedestrians, bikes, and cars. And and I would say that's that's kind of where we're seeing that here in Kansas City, where I live, there's been a big push for that, making making communities better. It's a, what we call like a complete streets concept. So taking into consideration a lot of those other road users and not just vehicles anymore. And and I think it's important and better for communities too, just to, to consider a lot of those pieces, a lot of those modes of transportation. Maybe I would imagine it's probably similar where you're at as well. I'm probably starting to see some of that. Yes, absolutely. You know, there's, there's uh, those that love bike lines and those that hate bike lines. So it's a very, very <laughs> divisive topic still, but, you know, I can see with time, everybody will be able to wrap their heads around, you know, the system working most efficiently rather than one mode of transportation over the other. Yeah, exactly. 
Speaking of emissions, reduced emissions, this is a, this is kind of a primary benefit of, of an adaptive corridor. Is there anything that you can speak to, like, uh, you know, quantifiable reductions in emissions from past projects? Emissions reductions, I should say. Yeah, it's something that is kind of, I think, industry standard when you're calculating these kind of benefits. You can, you can project out what those emission reductions are going to be based off of improved operational benefits. So on average, if you look at it across across the whole industry, just improving signal timing, um, not even an adaptive solution, shows that you can reduce emissions by upwards to 20%. So even even just doing that little effort within your community, if you're if you're focused on maintaining your timings and improving them for the system, you're going to see that benefit. A project we recently did in um, Henderson, Nevada outside of the Las Vegas area had a had a reduction in emissions where they saw about three million tons of carbon that were going to be taken out of the atmosphere on a on an annual basis. So it's it's a pretty big deal um, when you can start putting numbers to that, yeah, for sure. And you see what that impact actually is. It's it's definitely exciting because I think as as you know somebody that lives in the community I live in, you know, I want to I want a better a better environment. I want to be able to go outside and breathe and not feel like I'm breathing in all that carbon and emissions. So it's, it's cool to have that impact and see see what you can do with it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Tell us how an adaptive system actually works. You know, what what's what's going on at each intersection and you know how do the intersections interact and talk with one another? Maybe just for you know for those of us that have never even heard of an adaptive system or adaptive corridor, you know, how does it actually work? Yeah, it's a uh... There's a lot of options out there. You know, there's a lot of adaptive systems that exist on the market. So I'll talk specifically to, to ours, the NSYNC system. But in the most part, you know, every system requires some kind of detection input. Um, and what I mean by that is, is some way to recognize that you as the motorist is at the intersection, right? So you guys have probably been driving around and you notice all the cameras or, or maybe radar devices that are installed up on the uh, signal infrastructure. That's not there just to watch you. It's there to, to detect and recognize that, hey, there's an object there. Or there's a vehicle there that I need to provide service to. So that at a minimum, you know, we need that, right? We need a fully actuated intersection, which it means that I have the ability to detect all the vehicles moving in and around the intersection. And then the next thing is is a way to integrate with the with the cabinet controller, traffic controller that exists. And what we're doing, which, which is really cool with the NSYNC system, is providing a, a locally distributed solution, which essentially means I have a computer at each traffic cabinet. And if you want to boil it down even more, it's designed to emulate a, a human intelligence at each intersection. So imagine if you had, we can use the police officer as an example, because they're commonly used as, you know, personnel that control traffic, right? We all kind of see them as that in some cases. So you could have an officer at each intersection looking at all the traffic that's going on. It says, okay, I got 10 cars here, or I got 15 over here. Okay, now I'm going to service you. Now I'm going to service this guy. So it's evaluating everything second by second and making making that determination on who to service. And then the end goal, again, is to optimize green time, to make it more efficient for all road users, not just the ones on the main line. And then really when you talk about it from a, a more corridor perspective or a group of intersections, 
the system's designed to, to provide progression and improve flow from end to end or from one location to another in the city if you're talking more of a grid network type setup and, and be more be more dynamic in the amount of time that's available to the system to service the demand that's present in that moment. Okay, gotcha. So in an adaptive system, intersections are talking to one another, telling one to turn green, telling another to turn red. What does that communications tech look like? I mean, are we, are we talking modems? Is this, uh, you know, fiber laid to each of the traffic control cabinets? Is it 5G or, how, you know, how might 5G affect the type of communication at each of these intersections? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So, in, in the 15 years that we've been deploying adaptive systems, there's, there's been a lot of different ways to, to provide communication. And, and what, it's, what it's called really in a, in a high level is signal interconnects, which means my intersections are connected by some form of communication. And I mean, we have projects that have twisted pair copper even talking from one intersection to the next, and then it converts over to an Ethernet modem in the cabinet. But fiber optics is a very, very popular choice today. It's efficient. It provides very good service and, and connectivity. But the downside is is the cost usually because you're having to pull a lot of cable and, and, and bury lines and it's not necessarily the easiest thing to go about doing. But if set up right, it can provide a great backbone for your line of communication. And then wireless radios is another option. So having line of sight radios to communicate one location to another. And then you mentioned uh, 5G networks. I think that's definitely been more prevalent over the last couple of years than talking to some of our partners, our clients. You know, if you don't have infrastructure in place, installing a 5G cell modem has been a solution. Being able to connect the intersections that way and provide communication over a cellular network is definitely viable today. So lots of ways of talking. <laughs> yeah, lots yeah. Of ways of talking. So, you know, when you're looking at if there was an application box for, you know, adaptive corridors and everybody's dropping in their application, who would be the perfect candidates for maximum ROI, right? When you're looking at most gains to be realized by these types of corridors, what are you looking for? Do you only look at, you know, monster-sized cities, New York, L.A., Chicago, these types of cities with huge traffic volumes, or are there smaller towns that might also find value in these adaptive corridors? Definitely the gamut, right? I mean, we have a project, one, for example, that comes to mind. We just deployed an adaptive system in Pleasant Hill, Iowa, which is a suburb of West Des Moines um, off the I-35 corridor running north-south. And that's a a population of 8,000 people. (laughs) So, you know, going into that, I think the first time I walked in there and I was like, this is a small place. I can't imagine they're going to need something like this. But, you know, we start talking and we, we discover, you know, they have a problem they were trying to solve. And it was a unique solution is just the location of their town was right adjacent to the uh, Iowa State Fairgrounds. So every year they have a massive influx of traffic coming into their system and they weren't able to do anything about it. So, so to kind of get into the next part of your question about, you know, who, who's the good fit? It's, I think, I think the question to you is, or to the, to the people listening is, you know, what, what is the problem I'm trying to solve? What are my issues? And if it's related to having high variability in traffic demand or, I, hey, I have a really hard time coming up with great signal timing plans to be able to control the traffic that comes through my city on a day-to-day basis, or if I deal with a maximum influx of traffic because I have a, a sports arena or a concert venue in my town, those are the kind of questions I think if you're answering yes, yes, yes to all that, 
hey, adaptive might be a good fit for you, and you should definitely look into it. I live in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I love watching the Edmonton Oilers. Every time I leave a hockey game, there's crazy traffic congestion. I think you do have some applications around events. You mentioned the fair and fairgrounds. So maybe just tell us what would have happened before if anything was in place for the city to you know, better allow you to escape a sporting event. There would have been traffic signal timing plans that would be applied to game nights, basically. And you'd, you'd basically switch from normal timing plan over to event timing plan. The full adaptive system would remove the need for all sorts of timing plans and just adjust or adapt in real time. Is that right? And what sort of applications might you have that deal with sporting events? Yeah, going back to your first statement about the expectation that every agency just has these signal timing plans they can roll out, um, I would argue that that's probably not even that common. You know, there's a lot of agencies that don't necessarily have any any resources or, or capability to account for, for that type of demand. And in a lot of cases, that's why you see the police uh, department out there. They'll be directing traffic after after sporting events or after games because it's it's easier to to put that human intelligence on the on the on the road and, and make have them make those decisions. So even having the capability to make those adjustments is not that common today with a lot of the people and agencies that we actually meet with, which is kind of interesting because there are there are a lot of resources that are there to make benefit or provide benefits related to event type management even even with signal timing adjustments. I think what we run into is a lot of places that don't have the resources or the bandwidth or, or you know, the staff to, to really make that happen. So and kind of talking about, you know, what is adaptive, what is Instinct doing in events like that? Yeah, the system, if we kind of go back a few minutes, I was talking about how the system recognizes demand changes. It sees how many cars are there, and it's calculating how much green time I should give each approach second by second. That, that core function of the system still exists even during event management. You have the ability or it has the ability to respond to that change in traffic. But you can take it a step further. I think a lot of people like the idea of something being able to do that and, and provide the automatic change. But there's also a lot of people out there that still want to have control and feel like they're the ones that are making those adjustments and just know what's happening. So the system allows for, for that kind of uh, operation, the ability to to manually override if you had to, or if you wanted to design a special adaptive configuration specific for that time period, you could definitely do that as well. So there's a lot of automated methods that provide that benefit, but there's also a lot of system user input that allows for better control during those types of events. Right on. Good explanation. Thanks. Yeah, if I can get home, you know, even five, ten minutes quicker after uh, after an Oilers game, that's uh, that's a big improvement, I would say. I know that you you recently had a big deployment in Nevada, I believe, with some pretty staggering statistics coming out of that that deployment, that installation. Can you quickly just go over what the problem was there, what the project looked like for you guys, and some of the results you've realized so far? Yeah, that that was the one I kind of alluded to earlier about the emission reduction. So yeah, City of Henderson in Nevada, we actually did this project with uh, the group called RTC, which stands for Regional Transportation Commission, and they specifically manage Southern Nevada's region. Which for this specific area, they're they're basically in charge of all signal timing operations for that entire Vegas metro, which is 
kind of a cool setup. Some places have that capability through it's kind of like an MPO or a metropolitan planning organization to have more control and, and more capabilities to, to help manage all the major towns and suburbs in a, in a metro. So that's who we're working with, the RTC, the city of Henderson, and then additionally Clark County, Nevada. So th- three agencies, which I think I bring that up because that's three different agencies that do things a three different ways and have three different sets of equipment and our system's able to go in there and work with all of it. It's completely agnostic to to whatever's out there. So as we start to think, as you kind of get into your podcast schedule here and you talk about all the future of traffic and the new tech that's coming down the pipe with like connected vehicle technology, the, the way our system is designed, it's there to it's there to stay. It's there to work with future systems and it's there to work with whatever agencies have there today which is a pretty cool benefit of the system for sure. But, uh, you know, what What was their problem? They were, they were trying to solve really really twofold. They, they wanted to look at adaptive as a solution for the major metropolitan area because they hadn't really gone into that yet. And if any of you guys have ever been to Las Vegas, you know there's a lot of traffic in and around the Strip. There's a lot of pedestrian traffic. There's a lot of random events going on, variable conditions. So it's really hard to predict and and model and and provide good timing plans that are going to be reliable day in and day out. Um, You know, they definitely put in the resources and the effort to make it work, and they've done a really good job with that, what they have available. But uh, having an adaptive system just gives you another tool in the the toolbox to, to make it work better. They were trying to kind of check the boxes on a lot of those key performances that we look for, reducing delay, reducing congestion, travel time, and improving the overall corridor operations. And then we talked about CO2 emissions and and cost savings to the residents as well. So that was kind of the bigger picture of what they were trying to accomplish. And they chose this Henderson-Nevada corridor because it had a lot of those issues that I mentioned earlier. It has variable traffic conditions, a lot of shopping and retail, a lot of restaurants, access to to a highway on on I-215. So the things that generate different traffic conditions that definitely make for a, a difficult time to come up with optimal timing plans. That was really what they were looking for. Yeah, maybe, Sawyer, maybe, uh, is, there, is there any, you know, metrics or quantifiable results that you that you can speak to? Yeah, I mean, they were able to analyze the system, and they did it so in a way with a, a third-party consultant. Um, Ludian was the consultant, and they brought back benefits showing delay reduction of 34%, stop reduction of 53%, reported crash reduction of 34%. And I mentioned earlier the CO2 emission that reduction, 3 million pounds per year of CO2 no longer going into the atmosphere. And then for everyone out there that's, you know, how much does this cost and, you know, where am I saving? Their their return on investment was almost 10 10 to 1. They saw a payback period within 32 days of project implementation, which, which is pretty impressive to be able to see that kind of ROI. Very, very impressive numbers. Thanks, Sawyer. So the big thing that's coming with traffic that we all know is around the corner, we don't know just how far away it is, is self-driving vehicles. This topic sort of monopolizes my Twitter feed at night. Mm -hmm. How might self-driving vehicles change the demand for adaptive corridors? Uh, Will adaptive corridors still be required because they're still going to need to see, you know, know, who's coming and, and 
still get people from a, point A to point B as quick as possible. Do you, do you guys talk about that over at Rhythm? And, you know, how do you see it impacting your business? Yeah, it's definitely a point of conversation. I think, I think the challenging part is knowing, you know, when that's going to happen. And I think we all know in this industry, you know, nothing really moves that fast. It's going to take a while to really come to, you know, 100% saturation of the of that particular model of uh of operation so being aware of what type of technology is coming and knowing hey our systems are built to integrate with that and work with that as we move into the future one thing that kind of guides that at least in the united states is really kind of the direction that the federal government kind of mandates that the industry goes so you mentioned 5G. There for a while, there was some short-range communication as a potential option as well for connected vehicle. And I think I think we've landed on the the 5G track as far as technology creators, you know, all the, all the vehicle manufacturers and kind of where they need to go. And what what that means for Rhythm really is, you know, we just need to have a system in place that is able to communicate with those devices be able to talk to the infrastructure and provide the information to the the road user and get them what they need. So I think it starts there. That's obviously not fully autonomous. You know, that's uh, that's more just, hey, here's my here's my information to the road users. It's called fat data signal phasing and timing information to give them an idea of, you know, when when the light's going to be changing to green or when it's going to be turning yellow. That way they can make informed decisions prior to approaching the intersection. And then as we move into, you know, fully, fully autonomous where I'm not driving my car anymore, I, th- I think of the movie Fifth Element as an example. That's definitely going to change the, change the game for sure. And, you know, ideally the whole point of that is that vehicles are able to communicate with one another and, and more or less think of it like this. You're, you're taking away the friction that is driving right where that's that stop and go it's reacting to people pressing the brakes or stepping on the gas like if we can eliminate those pieces or that interaction you benefit a lot by reducing a lot of what our systems are able to do today you know does that mean adaptive systems don't exist anymore i i guess i don't really know the answer to that question uh you would almost argue that full autonomous could technically eliminate the traffic signal as a whole but I think I think there's there's a lot to be seen in the future, and we got a long way to get there. I, I don't think it's going to be it's definitely not it's definitely not tomorrow, right? It's it's going to be a while before we really see that come to fruition. Yeah, I agree, and we'll save that conversation for next time you come on the podcast. We'll talk about what 2050 looks like with no with no traffic lights. But I also do agree <laughs> that the sixth set or not the sixth sense, the fifth element was a very underrated flick. Um, <laughs> Sawyer, thank you so much. I mean, I think this has been a pretty intriguing conversation. As per usual, I really enjoyed our conversation. But before you go, and I'm going to be asking this of all the guests of the podcast, I'm looking for a prediction from you, and we're going to keep track of these of these predictions over time. So what I need from you is a prediction. What year will, we be, will you be able to get from one side of your city to the other in your own privately owned vehicle without ever touching your steering wheel or gas pedals? How far away are we from this, Sawyer? That's a tough, tough question. I'm going to, just so I can say I see it in my lifetime, I suppose, I'll, I'll, I'll target 20, 2065. That's, that's, that's where I'm going to go. 2065. I think you're a little bit younger than me. So, uh, you know, I may, I may already be dead by then. But we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. Steve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
with the technology that you guys are providing, hopefully keeps everybody safer on the road and living longer. So Sawyer, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Of course, I love talking to somebody that's uh, experienced and is passionate about traffic tech and traffic safety as yourself. Appreciate you taking the time to do this, buddy, and hope to have you on again soon. Yeah, definitely. Same. And yeah, next time for sure. Awesome. Thank you very much, Sawyer Breslow. We want to remind our listeners that this podcast values your input. If there's a topic you'd like to cover, whether it be about technology, transportation, traffic control, or anything really with the computer, camera, lasers, uh, we want to hear from you. Email us at requests at the trafficintelpodcast.com to send in your ideas. Once again, thanks for joining us on the Traffic Intel Podcast, the TIP. We have exciting new guests and explosive content coming your way soon. Stay tuned. I'm your host, Steve Ennis, and we'll see you next time, everyone. Safety forward. Safety forward.